America has had more than 600 mass shootings this year alone. The lead starts right now. Tragedy just before Thanksgiving, this time in the break room of a Virginia Walmart. Sources saying the gunman was the overnight manager opening fire on fellow employees. We are live from the scene of yet another heartbreaking shooting. And sources confirm the Justice Department is looking to question former Vice President Mike Pence as its criminal investigation into Donald Trump heats up. Plus, a powerful moment at the World Cup, how a protest from players spoke volumes without them ever saying a word. All right, authorities are beginning an update on the deadly stabbing deaths of four University of Idaho students. Let's listen. It's too small and every tip will be pursued. So far, this information has helped investigators build a picture of the areas of interest and the relationships these four had with each other and our community. We still believe there's more information to be gathered, which will continue creating a window through which we view this case. We all want to understand why this happened and what drove someone to do this. The families of those involved and our entire community deserve to know. We ask anyone with any information related to what happened with these four who are in our community, their interaction with others, and whether they expressed concern or commented about someone or something strange to get that information to us. Even if you don't believe it is relevant, investigators will review and determine if and how your information builds the picture. Sometimes, what a video or picture doesn't show is equally as important as what might be there. Information on how to submit tips and updates on the investigation can be found on the Moscow Police Department webpage. We continue moving forward to understand why this occurred in our community and seek answers to bring justice for the victims and their loved ones because they deserve it. I personally want you to know we care and we will continue to work hard um, to get these answers for these individuals. At this time, I'd like to introduce Captain Roger Lanier for an update on what we can currently share about this investigation. Good afternoon. I'm Captain Roger Lanier with the Moscow Police Department. I want to assure you first off that the loss of Zanna, Kaylee, Madison, and Ethan remains the highest priority for the Moscow Police Department. We will continue putting all of our resources into investigating and solving these murders. Investigators are prepared to work through the Thanksgiving holiday to continue their efforts. I also want to express our sincere appreciation to the Idaho State Police, the FBI, the University of Idaho and the Latok County Sheriff's Office for their assistance. And I especially want to thank the community of Moscow for their outpouring of support through this incredibly difficult time. <clears throat> Today I'm going to recap and brief what we know. I'm going to provide some new information and I'm going to address some rumors. On the evening of November 12th, and into the early morning hours of November 13th, Kaylee and Madison arrived home at approximately 1.45 a.m. 
after visiting a local bar and a street food vendor. Ethan and Zana were also out in the community at Sigma Chai, and they arrived home at approximately 1.45 a.m. Two surviving roommates who were also out in the community arrived home at approximately 1 a.m. Later, on the morning of November 13th, at 11.58 a.m., a 911 call was placed. <clears throat> the call reported an unconscious person. The call originated from inside the residence and a surviving roommate's cell phone was used. During that call, the dispatcher spoke to multiple people who were on scene. Moscow police officers responded and found two victims, two on the second floor and two on the third floor of 1122 King Road. The results of autopsies indicated that the four were stabbed multiple times and were likely asleep during the attack. Some had defensive wounds and there was no sign of sexual assault. We do not believe the following individuals were involved. The two surviving roommates, the male seen in a grub truck video uh, circulating on the internet, a private party who drove Kaylee and Madison home, any of the individuals who spoke to the dispatcher on the 911 call. We're also aware of a male whom Madison and Kaylee had called several times the morning of November 13th, and we do not suspect that individual. Detectives have canvassed the neighborhoods looking for evidence, physical evidence, video surveillance, and they've contacted numerous residents to see if anybody may have seen or heard anything. They continue requesting tips that can be sent to our tip line or called into our tip line. The specific areas that we're interested in are detailed on maps on our city website and our Facebook page, but as stated earlier, generally south of Taylor Avenue to Palouse River Drive and the area west of US 95 over to the Arboretum. We have heard mention that Kaylee stated she may have had a stalker. Detectives have been looking into that and to this point have been unable to corroborate the statement, although we continue to seek information and tips regarding that report. No suspects have been named or arrested and we continue looking for what we believe to be a fixed blade knife used in the murders. We have not released the names of any of the subjects who spoke on the 911 call and we have not released the call itself. Any online reports of the victims being tied and gagged are not accurate. Regarding the resources that we've put forth in this investigation, the Moscow Police Department has four detectives, 24 patrol officers, and five support staff dedicated to this investigation. The FBI has 22 investigators in Moscow and 20 additional agents assigned in various locations, as well as two members of the Behavioral Analysis Unit. The Idaho State Police has 20 investigators, a public information team, a forensic services and crime scene team, and 15 uniformed troopers who have been valuable in helping provide uh, community patrols and safety patrols. We very much appreciate their support. This is our highest priority, 
it will remain our highest priority. We owe that to the families. At this time, I would like to introduce Colonel Kedrick Wills from the Idaho State Police. Thank you, Captain, and thank you for those that are in attendance today for your attendance. We really appreciate this. What has affected Moscow and the community here has affected all of us as Idahoans. We have a way in Idaho that the communities come together in tough times, and this is one of those tough times. Leads from the community are important, and as the captain spoke, no tip is too small, and we would urge anybody that has any information whatsoever to please provide that to help us solve this case. The lead agency of this case is Moscow Police Department with Chief Fry and his dedicated team of professionals, and the Idaho State Police's role is to support them and their good work here. There is an awful lot of efforts going on behind the scenes, and I'll explain why it's behind the scenes in just a moment. But what can't be seen isn't always known of what we do in law enforcement, and I'd like to explain that in just a moment. But the Idaho State Police and the FBI continue to provide resources to this investigation. I would like to speak for just a moment, if I could, not about this specific case, but rather an overview of how in cases are investigated so that maybe it'll give some sense of the why of the timeline here. We understand you want answers. We want answers too. But these take time, and if I could explain just a minute about the process here of what we went, what we go through just generally in investigation. So we use in advanced investigative techniques and, and crime scene processing. So what happens when a call comes in, the original officers, the, the first officers that respond, respond to a scene, and then once that they've, they've got their work there and determined that they need some additional investigative assistance, then they, can, they call uh, investigators to come and help process that scene. And oftentimes it requires a forensics team to help process that scene. And when I say process the scene, what we're looking for is we're looking for any evidence that may help us to be able to find the people or person responsible for what we're seeing. And so we're collecting biological evidence, we're collecting latent evidence, whether it's shoe prints or tire marks or anything like that. We're trying to collect that evidence. We're trying to correct, uh, we do that through photographs, we do that through 3D, uh, um, 3D mapping to be able to map the, map the, the scene. We identify and we mark evidence and then we collect that evidence. And then we, uh, we look for any evidence that may, we think may be helpful. And once that, that is done, then we package all that evidence up and we send it off to forensics laboratories to be analyzed to see if it can help provide clues of what's happening. All of this takes an immense amount of time. The reason this is important to understand is because it's important that while this is such a tragic circumstance that we find ourselves in, in law enforcement, we believe we owe this to the surviving families to get this right. And so we're not willing to sacrifice speed for quality. We do uh, testing for blood, we do latent print processing, any documentations for any, anything at the scene so that we can reconstruct that scene at a later date. If I could share just a few statistics of this particular crime scene. At this crime scene, we collected 103 pieces of individual evidence. We took approximately 4,000 photographs. We've con conducted multiple 3D scans of the residents, and we have hundreds of hours used by technicians and investigators, including our forensics team and, de and detectives from multiple agencies. 
We've processed over 1,000 total tips and conducted 150 interviews. I hope that you understand that gives a little bit of a perception of just how complex this case is. We have the utmost confidence in this investigation and that this investigation will be done right. We ask you and we ask the public to please remain patient as this investigation unfolds and please rely on official sources of information. We really appreciate the media's assistance. We know you have a job to do. We know that you're professionals and you do it to the best of your ability. And we're thankful that you're here because without you, we could not get the correct information to the community that could help us solve this. So I can't overemphasize how much I appreciate and we appreciate in law enforcement your willingness to do this. What you are doing matters. And it matters in, in what we are committed to doing, and that is to the best way we can think of to honor these victims and their families is to, con is to conduct this investigation correctly. Finally, I'd like to share that I've been in reg regular contact with Idaho's Governor Brad Little throughout this investigation. Governor Little is making available up to a million dollars for expenses related to this ongoing investigation. As you heard, the the uh, resources that are here in Moscow and ever, uh, throughout with this investigation, you, you can see that those expenses would add up quickly. Like all Idahoans, Governor Little is deeply saddened by the loss of these four bright and promising young lives. And he's making sure the state of Idaho provides all of the resources possible to ensure that the person or persons responsible for this are brought to justice. And now I'd like to turn the time over to the University of Idaho President, Scott Green. Good afternoon, I'm Scott Green, President of the University of Idaho. <clears throat> we deeply appreciate the kind words of support we have been receiving from our alumni and friends, as well as many others uh, who may not know us, but have taken time to reach out. People are donating to the victims' GoFundMe pages and the Bruce Pittman Fund for Students in Need and they're buying personal devices for our students and continuing to look for other ways that they can help. This is what it means to be a vandal. In the last 24 hours, we have sent updated communications to our students, employees, parents, and alumni. And in those communications, we discuss campus security, services available to our students and employees, our plans for both remote and live instruction to close the semester, and our plans. All right, you've been listening to this press conference from authorities there in Moscow, Idaho, on the death of four University of Idaho students, Zana, Kaylee, Ethan, and Madison. And what's really noteworthy here is how we didn't learn really much at all. They still have no idea why this happened. They don't have an idea of a who. They do not have a weapon. They are still on the lookout for a fixed blade knife. They have put in so much work between the Idaho State Police, the Moscow Police, and the FBI, and other jurisdictions as well. So far, they just appear to not be able to find any information about who did this, although they are issuing this plea for people to share any information. They say that it can be helpful even if people think the information may not be helpful. It's something that may actually lead to a break in the case. We're going to continue, of course, to follow uh, that story in the coming days. I do want to turn now to our other top story, which is a big development in the Justice Department's investigation into Donald Trump. 
Prosecutors hope to question former Vice President Mike Pence in the criminal investigation of Trump's attempts to stay in power following the 2020 election. The New York Times' Maggie Haberman was first to report this along with her colleague Michael Schmidt, and she is with us now. Maggie, what can you tell us about what the DOJ wants from Pence? Sure. So the DOJ is interested in talking to him in connection with this January 6th investigation that, as we know, has been going on for some time. But he is the only person who can answer certain questions about what Trump was saying, about Trump's mindset, about the final phone call that they had the morning of January 6th, for which Pence was not surrounded by aides, although Trump had people in the Oval Office. And he can talk about exactly what Trump was saying to him and what he was saying to Trump. Now, they have interviewed two witnesses who are close to Pence, Mark Short, his former chief of staff, and his general counsel, Greg Jacob. But again, Pence is really the key in a lot of this. And this is preliminary. This conversation just began. But if it happens, if Pence were to be interviewed, it would be another extraordinary turn in this investigation. It certainly would be. And, And Pence, Maggie, has made it clear he will not testify before the January 6th committee. This does seem to be something different, though. That's right. Look, Pence had had expressed some willingness to consider a formal invitation from the House January 6th committee uh, back in the summer. I'm not sure whether that invitation ever happened, but he made clear in the last week and a half that he has no intention of doing so for a variety of reasons. He is said to see this differently, a criminal investigation led by the Justice Department, uh, then uh, a a select committee uh, led by, you know, uh, House officials. And so that is said to be governing Uh, how he is looking at this. But there are so many unanswered questions still. You know, will there be a subpoena? Would Trump try to prevent him from testifying? Trump has tried with limited success to assert executive privilege to keep people from testifying. And so this is still very beginning, but it is a significant development. And you can't ignore the political implications here, right? I mean, this is happening as Pence is staffing up for a possible presidential run against Trump. That's exactly right. We were looking at a, a scenario where Pence, the former vice president, could be a witness against Donald Trump, the former president. One is considering a campaign. One has already declared it uh, in an investigation that is being led by the Justice Department, uh, helmed by a a sitting president, President Biden, who himself has indicated is likely to run for reelection. So this is just a a very unusual circumstance. We are in uncharted territory. Maggie, thank you so much for sharing your reporting with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up, America reeling from the second mass shooting in a week. We will go to Chesapeake, Virginia, for what investigators are learning about the suspect in last night's Walmart shooting. The country is reeling from the second deadly mass shooting in the U.S. in less than a week. Six people killed, four wounded in a shooting at a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia. Investigators believe an employee of the store entered the break room just after 10 o'clock last night and opened fire on his co-workers. He was armed with a handgun. One employee who made it out of the store safely reacted to the shooting on a Facebook Live. Just left out the break room to come in there started capping people up in there started shooting bro like i'm whole though y'all sadly though we lost a few of our associates it was crazy because you know like you know we coming out from well where we at man i hear all of this before so it's like i'm thinking it won't nothing but then i started hearing them getting closer so oh, i booked it i seen everybody run i booked it too shit. i got up out of there and today virginia governor glenn youngkin called the shooting a shocking stark reality 
because it comes also just 10 days after three UVA football players were shot and killed on their campus. It, it is a just a horrendous uh, event. Uh, our hearts are just completely broken this morning yet again in the Commonwealth of Virginia. Uh, today our job is to support families uh, who uh, are facing the unthinkable today. CNN's Diane Gallagher is outside of that Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia, as investigators are learning more about the shooting suspect. That man a coward for that, bro. You kill, you kill people that ain't dead. Nothing to you. The nation's latest mass shooting at a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia, happening just before the store closed for the night amid holiday shoppers. Employee Kevin Harper, who took this video, says the gunman was a store manager. Just left out the break room. Come in there, started capping people up in there. Came in that bitch, started spraying. Tonight, at least six people are dead and several others injured. The manager just came from around the corner. He never entered the break room, but he just stood in the doorway and he just opened fire to anyone in the room. He looked at me and he shot near my head and it was about inches away, I'm not gonna lie. There were people just dropping to the floor, everybody was screaming, gasping, and yeah, he just walked away after that. Wednesday, the Chesapeake Police Chief provided a timeline of how it unfolded. Our 911 dispatch center received the first call at 10.12 p.m. last night. The first officers arrived on scene within two minutes at 10.14 and entered the store approximately two minutes later at 10.16 and the scene was declared safe by 11.20 p.m. Police say the gunman, who died at the scene from self-inflicted gunshot wounds, was a 31-year-old manager on the overnight shift. Authorities say that he was armed with a handgun and multiple magazines. What remains unclear is why. We don't know at this time. The investigation's still ongoing, so there's no clear motive at this time. I am new, but I'd heard from the very beginning that he was the one to watch out for. He was just really standoffish. I'll say he kind of gave off like loner vibe. The city says two of the victims were found in a break room, another near the front of the store. Three others died at the hospital. This woman's relative, who works at Walmart, was injured in the shooting moments after he started his shift. He went in at 10 p.m. tonight and we received a phone call. Well, his wife received a phone call. We um, about 10:18, saying that he had been shot. He got, clocks in at 10, so he hadn't even been there 10 minutes. Walmart releasing a statement saying it is shocked by the tragedy and quote, "We're praying for those impacted, the community, and our associates." This is the second mass shooting in Virginia in two weeks. Something Virginia Governor Glenn Youngkin calls horrific. Uh, this is a horrendous event. It's a horrendous, senseless act of violence. And just a few moments ago, a handful of employees returned here. They were escorted by law enforcement to come get their vehicles. It's the first time they've come back to Walmart uh, since they survived the shooting themselves and their co-workers and friends were murdered. Brianna, one man told me that he hid under the table until the shots stopped and then he ran outside. He echoed what you heard the young woman just now say that the gunman had displayed odd or threatening behavior in the past. We'd heard that from other employees, other people who survived the shooting, but every one of them said that they had no idea and could never have imagined that it would have ended like this. Truly senseless indeed. Diane, thank you for the report. I want to bring in Cliff Hayes now. He is a Virginia delegate who represents the Chesapeake area where this shooting happened. 
Uh, Delegate, I mean, there's no words for this. We are so sorry for what you and your constituents are enduring today. How is the community doing? Well, Brianna, we appreciate you covering the story, but um, uh, the community is somewhat trying to uh, grapple with the why. Um, It's very heavy. It's a load to carry mentally, even if you weren't physically uh, here. So I can only imagine what what those uh, workers of Walmart went through uh, during the turmoil of that incident while they were actually going through it. I can only imagine. Yeah, I, I cannot imagine. And and you said they're grappling with the why. You know, as, as an elected official, and, and so many other elected officials are trying to think about how do we stop this from happening, right? I know back in 2020, when your party, when Democrats controlled all of the levers of government in Virginia, you ushered through universal background checks, a, a requirement about lost or stolen guns being reported. You limited handgun purchases. Uh, you passed a red flag law. Those are a number of measures. What else needs to be done? What else can be done? Well, there's a lot that needs to happen, and uh, I think it starts with leadership of of all parties, all parties involved, to uh, we as leaders to understand that these issues are not mutually exclusive. In other words, it isn't just about uh, making sure that we handle the issues of mental health concerns. Um, and it's not that we just need to handle issues with regards to gun control, but we need to get in a room, sit down, and begin to talk about why is it that here in the United States we can be on a list of the top 64 or 65 wealthiest nations, and yet we find ourselves at position number eight when it comes to violent uh, homicide handgun killings. Um, When you compare us here in this country to um, European Union, um, we're something like 23 times more likely for these incidents to occur here. And um, compare us to other places, Australia, it's somewhere in that same neighborhood, 22 times more likely to happen here. there's something wrong when folks are turning to these measures to solve problems. Um, I know uh, we keep hearing in these reports that this is the second time that these type of shootings have occurred. The problem is we only focus on the deaths. Yeah. And I can tell you, even within my, even within my own family, within the last month, We've had two brothers that we buried weeks apart because of senseless gun violence. Somebody shot them, killed them. They were young African-American men. Um, Before that, um, I had a cousin that wouldn't kill a fly, wouldn't bother anybody. He was just going for a walk, and somebody riding down the street decides to just spray uh, uh, a gun and shot him. He didn't die, um, fortunately. But what is wrong with us in society as we count that as a success? That he got shot, but he didn't get killed. No, it's... Uh, we definitely have, uh, have uh, changed the measure and uh, where our focus needs to be is on 
uplifting our communities, dealing with these issues of mental health, it, while at the same time understanding that a proliferation of guns everywhere and anywhere um, is something that we need to definitely sit down to the table to begin to figure it is, out. I mean, Delegate, you were right. It is These are unacceptable outcomes, whatever the outcomes. And we're so sorry for the loss of your community and for the personal loss in your family. And we thank you for being with us today. Thank you so much, Brianna. In Colorado Springs, the shooting suspect appeared in court for the first time today after allegedly killing five people and injuring more than a dozen at an L, uh, LGBTQ plus club. CNN's Nick Watt is joining us live from outside of the courthouse. Nick, what did the suspect say at this hearing today? Well, Brianna, very little. Name, then yes, when asked if they'd watched the video regarding their rights, then no, when asked if they had any further questions. The uh, suspect actually appeared by video link from this jailhouse behind me. Uh, the suspect was seated, slumped, slurring, bruising around the forehead from where that young naval officer and that trans woman kicking the suspect in the head to thwart that attack. Now, the defendant's lawyers say that the suspect now identifies as non-binary. The DA was asked if that would have any impact on the investigation or the prosecution. His answer, no. Formal charges expected December 6th. We also spoke to a neighbor and a friend this morning who said that this suspect had not once mentioned being non-binary. Brianna. All right, Nick Watt, thank you so much for that very latest there. The gun debate in a state like Virginia in the wake of the Walmart shooting, what Glenn Youngkin, the governor, promised as a candidate versus his tone now as governor. Plus, the surprising number of flight cancellations today as we hit the peak period for Thanksgiving travel. And in the days and weeks ahead, look out for a brand new CNN original series called Tis the Season, the Holidays on Screen. Take a look. Moments ago, Moscow, Idaho police wrapped up an update on the student killings at the University of Idaho. I want to bring in CNN's Natasha Chen. Uh, Natasha, there was some Q&A after this press conference. What was the takeaway? Yeah, the, the takeaway is that there is a lot of information that police are not willing to share with the public because they say that it could very much affect the investigation and they're trying to protect this, which is frustrating for the people asking the questions. One of those questions uh, from the press was about why they can't share who was being targeted that night to shed some light on potential motivation here, put the public at ease um, if there is some a nugget of information like that that could help. But here's what they said in response to that. We have the integrity of the investigation to preserve. And we feel like that information is integral to us and how we conduct our investigation. Releasing that to the public may or may not flood us with a lot of information that's not relevant or specific to what we're looking at. We also learned that they have collected more than 100 pieces of evidence, about 4,000 photos taken, uh, and did multiple 3D scans of the evidence of the, of the site, processed more than 1,000 tips, and interviewed 150 people. Uh, in addition, they are in contact with the governor of Idaho, 
who has made a million dollars in expenses available for this investigation. Uh, I want to point out that the captain did say at the podium that in some ways this took our innocence, uh, referring to the fact that this is a small town, a small college town where there had not been a murder uh, between 2016 and 2021. So this is definitely a very big case uh, and very serious one. And uh, they're trying very hard to to get this solved, Brianna. Yeah, they do have a lot of manpower. We did hear about that. Natasha, thank you so much live for us from Moscow, Idaho. Uh, Now to our health lead. The Georgia Supreme Court just reinstating a six-week ban on abortions. Many women, of course, aren't even aware they're pregnant when they are six weeks along. The ban was struck down by a lower court last week, and this latest ruling temporarily reinstates the restrictive ban while the state Supreme Court considers an appeal. Now in our politics lead, back to today's other big political development, the DOJ seeking to question the former vice president in its January 6th investigation. Let's talk about this. So, look, Pence is a witness, right? He is a witness here. He's also staffing up for a potential presidential run against Donald Trump. How do you see this playing out? Well, um, it's, it's really difficult to see right now a constituency for Vice President Mike Pence, a uh, former Vice President Mike Pence. But uh, I thought the article was interesting because it was difficult to tell where exactly this was coming from. It's hard to imagine that this is necessarily being leaked by the DOJ. Um, if it's by, uh, you know, coming from Pence's world, I noted it noted that a number of people uh, who are familiar with vi- the former Vice President sinking said that he may be open to talking to the DOJ. Um, and so ultimately, I think that you're shaking your head at Pence for talking to the DOJ. But ultimately, I really think that this could be headed towards a subpoena because it's hard to imagine that Pence is going to just willingly talk to the DOJ without that being handed to him first. Brianna, I, w- I wouldn't want to be Mike Pence. I, I mean, he made a- he-, he cut a deal with the devil six years ago and he just can't escape every day, week, month. He's ensnared by Trump, and now he wants to run for president. He, he, he cannot escape. But at, this, but at this point, is talking to the DOJ going to really uh, further hurt his political ambitions? The January, if you're, if you're someone who supports former President Trump, you've already dismissed Mike Pence wholeheartedly. Now, if he doesn't want to talk to the DOJ and he decides to, to fight it and they have to subpoena him, okay, you know, perhaps that will drag it out and he'll try to maneuver that way. But I think at this point, um, if you don't like Mike Pence because of January 6th, whether or not he talks to the DOJ isn't really going into your decision making. Kirsten, I wanted to ask you um, overnight, another mass shooting that we saw really not that far from here, right? It's just Mm -hmm. a few hours from where we are now. And now you've seen two in less than a week. There was that one in Colorado Springs. We saw the other one in Virginia, UVA, about 10 days ago. I want to listen to what the Republican uh, Republican governor of Virginia, Glenn Youngkin, said back when he was campaigning in 2021 and then this morning. We will protect the Second Amendment and our right to keep and bear arms. Let me let me begin with the the just shocking, stark reality that we have had two horrific uh, acts of violence in the Commonwealth of Virginia in two weeks. What do you think as you see that sort of what he's campaigning on his promises meeting reality? Well, I mean, I, I suppose he would say that those are two different things, right, that you can protect the right to bear arms, but also, you know, 
uh, obviously don't support you know, mass shootings and that there have to be, you know, that people need to own their guns legally and all of these other things. So I do think it's interesting how he's talking about it, though, because I doesn't really talk about it being a shooting. He's talking about being an event. You know, he's kind of seems to be talking around it. And it seems like what Republicans do with these mass shootings is they just kind of wait them out. Right. Because people get very up in arms and say we need to do something and then it kind of passes and then we have another shooting. Right. And they and they don't actually ever do anything. They just sort of wait everybody out and then the Democrats can try to do something. But ultimately, they're not able to get the Republicans to go along with it. Rihanna, I'm a gun owner and a staunch Second Amendment defender. Um, Gun owners have got a lead on this because that that guy out in Colorado a red flag law that wasn't enforced. Um, universal background checks, strengthening red flag laws, doing everything we can do before a gun is purchased to make sure a bad guy shouldn't get a gun. I think this is an opportunity finally for gun owners to join that. Uh, most Americans support all that stuff. Most gun owners. Most of gun owners. All of that. A lot of those measures are very popular. And, of course, President Biden repeatedly says that he would like to, again, pass an assault weapons ban. But I don't see that happening with a Republican House majority Mm -hmm. and a 51, potentially 51 seat uh, majority for Democrats in the Senate, even if they gain a seat in the Senate. Uh, More additional gun measures beyond what was passed already. I think it's a no-go in Congress. But yeah, because you have Democrats in the Senate who yeah. are who, who are middle-of-the-road road Democrats, someone like a Joe Manchin who's not going to go along with And there are no things. Republicans that are going to go Exactly. Over, right? There isn't that sort of crossover that you would need to get and, this done. And, and you have House Republicans that aren't going to do anything but investigate and impeach. So they won't have time, Brianna. Yeah, yeah. I mean, nothing's ever going to change until voters hold the Republicans responsible for this. You know, it's until they make it a... <clears throat> a priority and say, look, this has to stop. We have to change these laws. The Democrats have been very clear that they want to change the laws. The only reason they can't is because of the Republicans. Well, and some Democrats who go along with Republicans on some of this. Yeah, we should be Democrats clear. Some of be able to put together yeah, enough people. There are some regional state. strains yeah. that we see in this uh, as well. But certainly your point is, mm-hmm. is well taken there. Thank you guys so much for the discussion on this very important day. Just an absolute horror in Ukraine today. Widespread power and water outages after a barrage of strikes, including one that hit a hospital maternity ward. We are live in the region next. Topping our world lead, the quote, worst winter since World War II. What that is what Kyiv's mayor is saying after a barrage of Russian missile strikes on Ukraine's capital and other major cities today as Vladimir Putin aims to terrorize the country with a cold, dark winter. CNN's Matthew Chance is in Ukraine, where Putin's ruthless war has taken yet another young, innocent life. The latest target in Russia's ruthless missile barrage. The Ukrainian maternity ward pounded from the skies. Emergency workers pulling a doctor and a young mother from the rubble. But a newborn baby, just two days old, couldn't be saved. Tatiana is the grandmother now in unbearable pain. Her daughter's face and legs were wounded by shrapnel, she says, but it's the loss of that child that's left her daughter emotionally shattered. Another life, another family, now in ruins. Across Ukraine, the roar of Russian missiles is tearing up the skies. Near the capital, Kiev, 
a residential building was hit. The yard outside turned into a smouldering disaster zone. Officials say casualties are high, with dozens injured or killed. As Russia tries to target energy and water infrastructure across Ukraine, an apparently deliberate attempt to make people here suffer. And another obstacle, the Ukrainian leadership is vowing to overcome. The task has been set. We will restore all of this and we will get through all of this because we are an unbreakable people. But with power outages nationwide, these are fragile times. Shops operating by flashlight, public transport at a virtual standstill, and even hospitals far away from the war zone on emergency supplies. Russia's barrage may not have broken Ukrainians, but it is making them suffer. Well, Brianna, tonight the Ukrainian government is announcing that it's opening more than 4,000 what it calls invincibility points across the country, places where people can go and get some hot food, where they can charge their phones, get on the internet, and just keep warm as the temperatures across Ukraine really start to plunge below freezing. But with no let-up in these Russian missile strikes, the people of Ukraine are still facing a very long, very cold and very dark few months ahead. Brianna. They certainly are. Matthew Chance, live for us in Ukraine. Thank you. Up next, the silent protest at the World Cup today that spoke volumes. In our sports lead, a powerful silent protest at the World Cup in Qatar. Germany's team lined up with their mouths covered before their game against Japan. The German Football Federation tweeting the picture with the caption, Denying us the armband is the same as denying us a voice. FIFA threatened several European teams with penalties if they wore rainbow armbands with the phrase one love to promote human rights. Germany's interior minister protested herself. She wore the armband in the stands during the match. So if you have people coming in for Thanksgiving, I know I do right here, they may be cranky when they arrive this is why this is what they're dealing with. AAA expecting more than 54 million people to travel 50 miles or more for Thanksgiving. Now, for air travel, there's actually a lot to be thankful for today. Only 45 flights have been canceled so far today. That's according to FlightAware. You heard that right, 45, just night and day from the travel meltdown that we saw this summer. And our coverage continues now in the Situation Room. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Now streaming exclusively on Max, a new CNN flash talk about the album that has Nashville talking, Call Me Country, Beyonce and Nashville's Renaissance. Watch it at max.com slash callmecountry. Max subscription required.